Through verse 27, hear ye the word of the Lord. Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. God's word for God's people and God's people said amen. You may be seated. I, uh, enjoy being a lectionary preacher because I don't have to spend that much time wondering what I'm going to preach about. There's a whole calendar on a three-year rotation set out for me. And since I go through this three-year calendar all the time, I notice there's some nuances between some of them. And There's one lectionary that'll be on the United Methodist website. There's another lectionary that'll be on a a, a website that I go to called workingpreacher.org. And then there's one that the Texas Annual Conference prints out. And it's got a lot of good information in it. It'll tell you what color the altar needs to be and what all these special Sundays, this one being All Saints Sunday, where we honor those who have gone before us in the past. It, It has all of that stuff in there. But I went to one, and I noticed when there, since there are all these different kind of lectionaries going on, uh, that there'll be certain Sundays where they don't all have the same four scriptures to pick from. And I could not pass up this one. I did not see this one on the normal places I go, but I saw it on one of them, and I said, I cannot pass by Job at this time in our church family's life and at this time in our economy and at this time when our election is going on, I could not pass by that passage without preaching it. I'm sure we all can relate. I'm sure we've all had some tough times. I'm sure we wouldn't know where our help was coming from and we didn't know what we were going through or why and, and, and had kind of questions going on in our head about why these things were happening to us when we were supposedly doing everything that we were supposed to do. And it seems like every time you try to get your act together, every time you want to get on the straight and narrow, every time you want to take care of business like you're supposed to be taken care of, it seems like something will happen that'll mess you up. Life is full of ups and downs peaks and valleys we even have some plateaus where we're just even and we can't get any higher no matter how hard we try and I look at Job and I experience that and I empathize with the man here you have Job a man of God and he's about to he's going through rather some serious trouble Uh, Job 1 says that he's a righteous man 
blameless and upright. You know, there are some of us that may try to say we're going through Job, and that makes me pause myself. Am I really that comparable to Job? Am I blameless and upright in everything that I do? I won't answer that for myself, and I don't expect you all to answer it, but it's just something to think about. But Job was righteous and blameless, and the enemy was going around looking for something to mess up, looking for something to get into. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And they go on to have this conversation. And Satan basically tells God, the only reason Job is going to church like he did, the only reason Job is worshiping you like he did is because he's blessed. He's got a lot of stuff. He's got a lot of things going on. I guarantee if he didn't have all of that stuff going on, he wouldn't bless you the way he did. I can relate to that as well. Because there are some people that we, we could think of, or some people even when we think about ourselves sometimes, do we praise God only when we got money in our pocket? Do we praise God only when everything is going all right? Do we praise God because we got the promotion, but would we praise God if we did not get the promotion? Do we praise God when it's good and when it's bad, or do we only praise God when it's, when it's good and look to solve the bad problems on by ourselves? And so Job starts to go through a rough time. And all at the same time, he loses his house. He loses his family. He loses his business. All these people keep coming in. Job, your kids are dead. Job, people attack your field. Job, it's going, it's going on. All at the same time. But yet he still decides to worship. Naked I came into this world and naked I will leave this world. He didn't allow his situation or his condition to affect his disposition. No matter what was going on, he still praised him. Broke, praise him. Got money, praise him. Got no friends, praise him. Got friends to go all over, praise him. In everything that we do, we ought to praise God. And so here he is losing a lot of material things and losing immaterial things, losing his family, losing his business, losing his possessions. And then comes his so-called friends. I say so-called because they came around and like most of us, I mean, most of them do, not us, not, not anybody in here, nobody, not anybody you know. But they looked at what was going on with Job and they said, this must be your fault. I mean, I don't know about anybody in here, but we can all think of somebody if we, if we thought about it. Not ourselves, though. Not ourselves, but somebody else. When we see something happening, they would say that that is their fault and they brought it upon themselves. Not, not anybody in here, though. I'm just saying you just think about somebody imaginary in your mind and we'll look at, look at how we do those things and say that if bad things happen to you, they must have been your own fault. And what's left of his friends are coming to his house and they're trying to tell him and they have basically insulted him. And they have insulted him to the point that he kept track. 
And when we get to about Job 19.1, he says, how long will you torment me and crush me with your words? Ten times you have insulted me. Or now you have reproached me shamelessly. Now you attack me. I would argue that sometimes that's the problem with the church as is. We don't act like there's problems going on in our own lives and we are looking to point out the the faults of others. I say it time and time again. The people on the outside don't have a problem with the God on the inside. The people on the outside have a problem with the people on the inside because the people on the inside tend to act like their stuff does not stink. Right. People on the inside act like they got everything together, not understanding that if the situations were reversed, we'd be in the same situation. Can I be transparent? I ain't never went to jail. But if my situation was a little different, I might have had to go to jail. So I can't look down on somebody else that's been in jail because if it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? And so you have these so-called friends in here insulting him thinking that they're helping, thinking that they're showing some tough love, thinking that it's going. And he is looking for sympathy and empathy and not somebody to be condescending. If we could take just a little more time and spend some time in love and actual love, not just putting love on the back of a sentence when we want to insult somebody, talking about we telling the truth in love. If we could just spend some time in love and understand the situation and be more supportive of them as opposed to telling them what's wrong. All right, all right. And so Job is here here telling them, and he's like, you, you, you insulted me ten times already. And he's looking for sympathy. He's looking for empathy. He's looking for compassion. He's looking for love. And all he's getting is insults. Sometimes the best thing we ought to do when we are dealing with friends in bad situations is listen. I know just enough about psychology, as they would say, to be dangerous. I dare not step into the realm of psychology and try to pretend like I'm offering licensed prescribed help. Why? Because I respect the craft. But one thing I do know is that when people are in trouble, When people are hurting, when people are in need, the best thing you can do to them is listen. Not try to offer all the different ways that they did it wrong. Not try to offer a bunch of ways to correct them. Not try to give them 50 million ways you you can say, I told you so. Just listen. Something I've been learning about is attending When you attend to somebody's needs, you are there. You are present. That's why when the doctor, when you have have to go to the hospital, the doctor that constantly sees you is the attending physician. I have a primary care physician, and I feel like he's one of the best primary care physicians in (laughs) in Texas. Why do I feel like that? Because when he comes in the office, he may have triple booked your appointment. You might have a 10 o'clock and three other people have the 10 o'clock as well. But when he comes in, he shuts the door, sits on the seat, puts his paperwork all on the side and says, Johnny, tell me what's going on. How are you doing? 
How is school going along? How is your family? How's your mom? How's your aunt? How he attends to me. And if we are truly to love God and love people, we ought to attend to them. Amen, amen. Amen, amen. And so Job's so-called friends are doing a poor job of attending to him, and he's telling them about it. And he gets a little more despondent. I mean, he's lost a lot in this time, and he has a right to be mad. And so as we go further down in 19, right around 6, he says, I, then I know, then know that God has wronged me. And drawing his net around me, though I cry violence, I get no response. Though I call for help, there is no justice. He has blocked my way, I cannot pass. He has shrouded my path in darkness. He has stripped me of my honor and removed the crown from my head. He tears me down on every side till I am gone. He uproots me, uh, uproots my hope rather like a tree. His anger burns against me. He accounts me among his enemies. His troops advance in force. They build a siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. Job is mad. And Job has a right to be mad. He's going through a whole lot right now. He's losing almost his entire world and everything that is left of his world. His friends and his wife are all coming around saying the wrong thing. His wife even gets to the point where she says, curse your God and die. He's got a lot going on and I'm here to tell you that it's natural to get mad. Now I'm going to cover this a little more on Thursday, but I'm going to take a little bit of a moment right now to call out the Wade family and I'm going to tell it to you like this. God did not kill your mama. God did not kill your mama. Not only did God not kill your mama, God is here for you to lean on. God is grieving with you. God is there for you to know that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And not only did God not kill your father, it is okay for you to be mad right now. I would be mad. Just because you have feelings does not mean you lack faith. So don't let anybody tell you that you can't get mad right now, that you can't get hurt right now. God is with you. God is there for you to lean on. God is there for you to cry to. It's okay. God created the world. He can handle you being mad. Matter of fact, if you weren't mad, I would think something was wrong. We got to attend to people and understand that it's okay. God can handle our anger. He speaks in worlds of form. He knows how many number, the number of heads, hairs on your head. He can handle you being upset. It's okay. And it's natural to think that God causes these things when we go through these problems. And I've got to take full responsibility for it. I've got to blame the pastors. We got pastors running around acting like God is the buffet line at Golden Corral. I'm going to come in and pick this and I'm going to take a little bit of that and I'm going to get this and I'm going to get all of that and I'm going to get everything I want every time I have it. Like God is some sort of vending machine. I stick my dollar in and push it and get the, get the Dr. Pepper that I wanted. And then if we don't get what we wanted, it's God's fault that we didn't get what we want. But God is not like that. Matter of fact, if you spend more time in the Bible... The Bible will tell you that life is full of ups and downs. It tells us that man born of a woman's days are few and full of trouble. 
it tells us that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. But you got to understand that if that no weapon formed against you shall prosper, somebody tried to make the weapon. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. And for it not to prosper, that still means somebody tried to shoot it at you. Mm-hmm. So right. you are going to go through some troubles, but you have to be able to keep putting one foot in front of the other. You got to keep able to press towards the mark of the hall, high calling. You got to be able to say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. The Bible says, he who has begun a good work in you shall perform it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So you got to keep pressing forward. Keep stepping ahead. Keep going. And you will prevail. We will get troubles from time to time. Our life will be full of ups and downs. But we got to continue to press our way through it. Because it's not about what happens to you. It's more about how you respond to it. God said he'll never leave you nor forsake you, but he didn't say it was going to be easy. Didn't say it was going to be simple. Didn't say it was going to be push button, turnkey. You just get what you want whenever you want it. The Bible says that though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. So we all got, even where every time we fall, we got to realize that we can dust ourselves off and get back up again I was at home yesterday with my son and Johnny is not feeling well they actually the whole house has been playing hot potato with a cold right now and they got pastor walking around with his mouth covered got got got, got my mouth covered because I pastor can't afford to get sick pastor burned all his vacation days going to school in Dallas so anytime they get sick, I might just sleep a little further away. And if anybody starts coughing, I might move away. Why? Because I need that time. But one thing about my son, when he is sick, I can tell because he is a bundle of energy. He is all over the place, off the walls. But when he is not feeling good, he'll come in and just lay down on the couch and watch TV and not, and, and not want to bother anybody. His favorite phrase will be, I want to go to bed. And so one thing that I've noticed about my son when he gets sick is that he'll need a little help getting up the stairs. And so if we're going up and down the stairs the same time, we're going down the stairs, he want to lean on me. And when he's going back up the stairs, he want to lean on me to make his way up the stairs. And I want to fuss at him. I want to tell him to stand on his own ten toes, walk upright and get up those stairs because I'm a hard father. I'm trying to raise a manly man. Don't be leaning on nobody. But I had to stop myself from fussing at him because I realized that Johnny Simpson III had better sense about the situation than Johnny Simpson, the Johnny Simpson Jr. in the spiritual realm. Johnny Simpson III had enough sense to understand that when he is tired, when he is sick, when he is not feeling well and he needs some help, he knows that he can lean on his father for help. And he knows that he can lean on his father for help and keep climbing up the stairs. Why? Because he knows his father will not let him fall all the way back down. Not only does he know his father will not let him fall all the way back down, he's still going to keep climbing. So I had to leave it to myself to understand that if he can understand that, I need to understand that in the spiritual. So when I get sick, when I get tired, when I'm not feeling well, when I don't feel like doing anything, I know that I 
can keep pressing forward and I can lean on my father because my father is not going to let me fall. And so though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And now, if that was all the introduction, now we about to the part where you heard in your reading. And yeah, he says, yet that I want my words to be wrote in stone. He wants to, what he's about to say next to be marked permanently, screenshotted, saved to the cloud, backed up so that if he needs another copy, he can pull it down. Mark my words. What did they used to say back in the day? If I'm lying, I'm flying. Or if I'm lying, I'm dying. And what do they say these days? Real, well, not even real talk, but 100. What he's about to say right now lets us know that he means it. You can mark it down. He says, oh, that my words were recorded and they were written on a scroll that they be inscribed in the iron tool on lead. Jacob is, I mean, Job, sorry, is distressed at the current moment. He's distressed about trying to keep the faith while he's got these troubles going on. He's distressed about everything that he's lost so far. He's distressed about his friends that are in here telling him the wrong stuff. But he knows that his redeemer lives. And not only does he know that his redeemer lives, that he's going to see it face to face. If you were to go to Leviticus 25 and 25, it says if one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. Mm. If I was to say it in hood terms, if you came upon hard times and you might have to put some of your material possessions in a pawn shop and you are unable to get them out your nearest relative your kinsman redeemer which is the word they use in the Hebrew goel your kinsman redeemer is supposed to go get that for you not only is it about the, 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 the material stuff but when you read Deuteronomy 19 they talk about it as well if somebody is physically hurt If somebody is killed, if somebody does something to the people of God, you are supposed to chase them to the ends of the earth until you get that back. They are redeemed. And then in Jeremiah 32, 6 and 7, he says that the word of the Lord came to me and Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle is going to come and come to you and say, buy my field at Anatha because the nearest relative is to your right and it is their duty to buy it. Basically, what Job is saying is that when he goes through these problems, there is somebody out there that is going to help him out. And it's not going to be later. It's not going to be long afterwards. It's not going to be generations to come later and later. He is talking in the present tense, just like Boaz redeemed Ruth and Naomi. It's present tense. Not the sweet by and by, not what's going on later. His redeemer lives and he is not going to die until he sees it himself. He knew that his redeemer lived and he didn't need anybody else to tell him no matter what was going on. 
no matter who was around him, no matter what he had lost, no matter what he had gained, he knew that his redeemer lives. And that's how we have to press forward. It doesn't matter what our family says. It doesn't matter what our so-called friends say. It don't matter what our current situation is. Our redeemer lives. Job is not talking about being redeemed later. Job is going to be redeemed now. And he kept the faith. And he kept pressing on. And guess what? He was redeemed. The cliche says that he got double for his trouble. Everything that he went through, he got more and more back. And was still in right relationship with God. Why? Because he held on to the faith. He pressed towards the mark of the high calling. He did what he was supposed to do and he didn't waver. And even when he did waver, when he had those emotions, he kept pressing. And that's what we ought to be able to do. No matter what's going on with our family and friends. No matter what's going on with our financial situation. whatever. No matter what's going on in our emotional situation, we still ought to be able to turn to God. Because our Redeemer lives. And not only was Job redeemed, but we all have been redeemed. There's another redeemer out there that we can put our faith in. There's another redeemer out there that we are related to. You could say we've been adopted into the same family. That Jesus, Mary's baby, the way maker, the heart sustainer, the mind regulator. The wheel in the middle of a wheel. There's that Jesus. And we'll be able to see him with our own eyes. And not by another. I serve a risen savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living. No matter what men may say. He see, I see his hand of mercy. And his voice of cheer. And all the time I need him. He's always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. And you ask me how I know he lives? Because he lives right in my heart. Won't he do it? Won't he fight your battles? Won't he make your enemies your footstool? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come.